if you've done any traveling, it may be the case in Australia, but generally in the East and uh, uh, other parts of the world now there too, you'll see buildings like these and people living in them. What do you notice about them? That they are... Well, yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> something else. They are unfinished. And especially in the East, if you travel through countries, this is a regular site. People, whole families living in uncompleted buildings. Usually because funding has run out. Sometimes because the will to finish a project, you know, has gone on. And for whatever reason, you know, unfinished buildings and regular. And people living in them, it's quite amazing how they can manage and dangerous, obviously. Here's what we're asking as we begin Philippians. Is God like that? Does God finish what he begins? Does he get part way, thanks Sylvia, does he get part way through a, a project and then have a change of heart, give up? You know, sometimes we can be, when something's taken so long, you can be like, oh, I've just had enough of this uh, uh, and I just want to finish now. Is God like that? What does he do when he comes across challenges with us? on the journey of salvation and it gets complicated our lives get complicated does God walk out on us then? and you know that legitimate questions when we go through difficulties when we let God down we can be asking has God give up on me now? and so Philippians deals with some of these questions and certainly and we're going to work through these over some weeks but beginning today so look the book of Philippians is written to an audience called Philippi. It's a city of Greece, named after a king some time back. Uh, and Paul did some evangelistic work there. Remember we said this at the beginning of this morning, that the church grows by men and women doing things. Paul planted churches by doing things. He went to Philippi on a journey, gave up his livelihood, and there he met, does anybody remember, who did he meet? Down by the river. Yes, Sylvia. Is all you, Sylvia? Was that Pamela? Pamela, he did. And he met a special young lady in particular. Does anybody remember her? The lady? It's a beautiful name. If you want to name your daughters. Greg, thank you. Lydia. She got converted sometime during that stay. Paul got in prison. It was a regular thing of his to get in prison. And what happened as a consequence of his imprisonment? Who knows? Have a guess. As a consequence of his imprisonment? Yeah! Okay! The jailer, Paul, is let out of prison, isn't he? Supernaturally, what's the jailer's about to kill himself and Paul preaches to him? And what happens to the jailer and his family? They get converted. Later, a slave girl. And so, it's the beginnings of a church. So Paul planted this church through the beginnings, small beginnings of Lydia, the jailer, his family, a slave girl, and, and the church begins to grow. And so Paul writes to them. Where's he writing from? Yeah. He's under house arrest and then for, at forced imprisonment. And he's writing to this church. Is writing to them because he is there. What is what's his relationship to them? He is their P A S pastor. 
He's there. He established the church, but he can't pastor them. He's obviously he's, he's got people on base who are acting on his behalf, and so now he's pastoring them through his letter. It's his form of pastoring. I don't know if you've thought of it like this. You know those emails I sent to you midweek that you probably don't read, <laughs> right? That's one element of my pastoring of you. Please read them. Take them to heart. That's why I've included a little thought for the week, just to encourage you on your journey. And so Paul is pastoring this church through this letter. And so we're going to look at it together. And we're going to go through the whole letter. Uh, not today. <laughs> You'd be pleased to know. Okay, but over time we're going to go through it together. Uh, heading is this. The work of God in believers. That's going to be go running through the book. The work of God in believers. And our heading today, it's there already for you there. Our heading today is God sees through to completion the work he has initiated. That's our heading today. We're just going to cover a few verses. God sees through to completion the work he has initiated. All of the words there are carefully thought out so just look at that let's look through these verses paul and timothy servants of christ jesus paul's always working in the team he's not a long ranger no church needs long ranger pastors that's why we have a team here is paul always worked in a team he's got timothy as one of his servants he's including his name to remind the church that he's not a long ranger to all the saints in christ jesus at philippi you know the Catholic Church makes saints of certain religious people. It's a complete misnomer. Because the saints of Jesus are who? You guys, all of you. Welcome. Oh, when the saints go marching in, I want to be in that number. If you love Jesus, you are. You want, you know, and this is the reality, this is the truth. Guys, we're the saints. Okay? You, in Jesus. So he writes to this little church he's planted. Okay, and here's the thing about Paul. And look, I've got to say this, you know, it's not just because I'm defending the size of our church. But Paul only pastored small churches. It's one thing we have to understand about the New Testament. The New Testament churches were small house churches. It's, it's the pattern of how things were at work. And he writes to them and he calls them the saints and reminds them they're saints in Christ Jesus of Philippi together with the overseers and deacons. Here's a church leadership structure, something we're going to be working towards over the years uh, of living word church's life. What is the biblical structure of church leadership? It's anchored in God's love, thank you very much. What is it? And you see it all through the New Testament and it's here. What is the biblical structure of church leadership? You have an eldership who are responsible for teaching and you have, what's the second, over, overseer's eldership and you have a diet, pardon? I can't hear you, sorry. You have, you have a diaconate, you have deacons, diacon, deacons. The church leadership structure of the New Testament and, and as a church is something we have to work towards because we're a church, is you have an eldership, a group of men who are responsible for teaching we, and, well, we can look at these in, in other times and you have a diaconate, a group of men responsible, or men or women responsible for, because then we know what the role of diaconates seem to be Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy 3 a group of men and women who are responsible for the running of the church 
That's the biblical church structure. You have an eldership, and within that you may have a pastor, someone who is an elder, but who is especially set aside to teach, such as myself. An eldership, you may have pastors within that, and a diaconate, a group of men and women who run and manage the practical elements of the church. And, and Paul sets the church structure up like that so that it runs efficiently, so that you have men uh, who can give themselves, Acts 6, remember in Acts 6, Acts 6 is, is the establishment of the diaconate. In Acts 6, they have a situation when the Grecian Jews uh, aren't getting their proper allotment of food, and Paul, or not Paul, the church, what does the church have to do? Is it Paul? Uh, what, no, it's Peter, isn't he? What does the church have to do? So you've got, you got the apostles who are responsible for Bible teaching, but you've got all these practical problems in the church, food handouts, and so what does the church do in order to deal with the practical issues of the pra practical problems in the church? Because they didn't want the apostles who were responsible for teaching to be distracted. What did they do? They did. They appointed what is the early, the early diaconate. Men and women who were appointed to serve the practical needs of the church. And it's the early formation of the diaconate. And then they said, the reason we're establishing this group of middle management, if you like, who can handle you know, the practical affairs of the church is so that this group of people can dedicate themselves to, it's in Acts 6, to the ministry of the word and prayer. And look, we're a small church and some of those offices are more fluid in a smaller church. But as by God's grace we begin to grow more, we will need to get to a situation where uh, the eldership and the pastors can dedicate themselves more fully to preaching and prayer. Which will mean having a diaconate that can handle all of those practical elements to alleviate some of the pressure there. Now, that becomes much more relevant as a church grows. In a smaller church, you tend to find a pastor and his group of deacons work much more closely together and, and share the task like we do here at Living Word Church. But the direction the church has to go is the biblical pattern for which where we have an eldership, overseers, and a diaconate, and, and a membership. And then and the thing works together. We can look at that as as the Lord adds to our numbers. But that's the general direction we're going in order to try and have a biblical style of church government. So to all the saints of Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, the teaching element, and the deacons, the practical helpers, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Jehovah's Witnesses. Who can say that here? All of us. I hope you do. Okay? As well as everybody else. Okay? But here's where, where it's our conviction, isn't it? Where they have seriously erred in their understanding of Jesus Christ. And the argument goes that there's no explicit text of the Bible that says that Jesus is God. Well, number one, there is, okay, if you translate it, no, this is a strong thing to say without offending anybody, if you translate it properly, John 1 certainly makes it absolutely clear, 
Jesus says so. But, but that, that aside, Jesus and the apostles were constantly inferring this one sheep. And look what Paul is doing here. Look, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What is Paul doing between... It's a bit like this. So look, and, uh, and uh, David and Priscilla give you their blessing. What am I doing with David and Priscilla there? I'm, uh, I'm, 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 I'm creating some parity, aren't I? You see, when you talk about someone like that, and look, this will be a bit easier. Uh, and uh, uh, who's the president of the United States at the moment? Uh, Biden. Biden, thank you. Look, uh, and, and Biden and Matthew, who lives at, Pencil, uh, lives at Cornish Avenue, Washington, give you their greeting. How does that sound? So Biden and Matthew give you their greeting. There's something bizarre about that. Can you see? It just it doesn't go. But if you were to say, who, who's the uh, vice president then? Uh, um, Pence, is it still? No. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris, okay. So, but if I said, Biden and Harris give you their greeting, there's some parity there, doesn't there? And when Paul is saying... Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to understand he's putting these two beings in parity on the same level, on the same playing field. And so whatever the Bible may not say explicitly, implicitly, it's everywhere. The God and Father, the God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 3 goes on to say, I thank my God every time I remember you. And there's something about that. Oh, there is a full stop there. But, but Paul doesn't end that sentence there. He's thanking God because he remembers them. So the first thing he's reminding this flock of his, he's remembering them. Hey, can I say something to you? Of course I can. This is what I'm doing now. Every time you get a message, from me, I hope. You know, I hope when the phone goes up, ding, 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 ding. If you if you got a men's meeting, you know, at the on Monday, and I send you a message, there's a simultaneous ding, 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 ding. Okay, one of the things I hope that's conveying to you is that I'm remembering you. It's one of the things that communication is doing. It's what Paul, in his writing to this church, is reminding them, as their pastor, that he's remembering them. He hasn't forgotten them. And so he's remembering But the, the full stop there doesn't do justice to the remembering. He's not just remembering. Ooh, that's a lovely memory of Sylvia I have. It's not just, I have lots of those, Sylvia. Okay? It's not, it's not just like that. It's, it's, it, it has, there's, there's some substance behind it. Look, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for you. A part of... Paul's remembering is not just a thought, a nice thought, but that remembering is what? It's mechanically working itself out in him. Pray. Every time, in all my prayers for you. And notice the all. What is Paul saying? In all my prayers for you. What's, what's he? What? Yeah. Because I want you to know. I maybe looked away here from, from sight, but I'm pastoring you. I'm ministering to you. And how's he doing that? He's remembering them in his 
prayers, in all his prayers, he's committed to this. I always pray, that's that's, that's a continuation to that, but he's praying regularly and he prays with great joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until the last. Paul, as a ministry of his, as the pastor of this church, he gives himself to praying for that church. I know you know this, but it's a reminder. In in calling me to be your pastor, one of the key things you were calling me to, or is to, it's ongoing, is to... God's love? Yeah, it is to that, thank you. Prayer. It's to prayer. It's one of my tasks. It's one of the things you've called me to do. It's not just one of the my small tasks, if you read Acts 6 and Paul talks about how an eldership there functions, he says the reason they appointed the diaconates is so that they could give themselves to does anybody know the words in Acts 6? to prayer and the ministry of the word can you see how Paul sets forth the work of a pastor almost as a, as a splits it in a 50-50 equation although it doesn't quite look like that in that in that a bulk of the pastor's time is given to prayer. It's meant to be. And a bulk of it to the study and ministry of the word. Can I ask you to, in your prayer for me, that you'll pray that God will enable me to, to be more faithful in prayer? If all my ministry, you know, I'm very good at doing all the doing stuff. It just comes natural to me to do stuff. Praying is... Is, is a real discipline. A real discipline. You know. And so, but a task of a pastor, Paul is exemplifying here, and this is what you've called him to do, is to give himself to pastoring you through prayer. It's partly why those messages go out. Because what I'm doing in those messages. Okay, you tell me, in sending those prayer requests out, what am I doing in my work as a pastor to pray for you? What, what am I doing in sending those messages out? I'm, pardon? I'm ministering, just reminding you there's prayer going on, but I'm also recruiting all the, the members to join with me in pastoring one another. Can you see? That's what's going on. Please take those seriously. Those Requests are me as your pastor praying for you and then recruiting the flock to together corporately be in prayer for one another. So to, to enlarge in the prayer, to put it out there. Because the reality, whatever job task that Jesus gives a pastor, is really the task of every member of the church in some sense. And so Paul is exemplifying this to this church that the, the means by which he's pastoring them at this moment, which is obviously, and if you read his letters, Paul isn't only praying now because that's all he can do. Look, I'm in prison now. I can't do anything else for my flock, so I better just pray. It's not like that. If you read his letters, what's he always saying? Whether he's in prison or not, he's always praying. A key element of Paul's pastoral work is prayer. That's a challenge to ministers and it's a challenge to the congregation to join together with your ministers and pray 
together. And so he's praying for them, and he's praying with great joy. Notice this is a, this is a joyful activity, and again that joy is, going, is, is looking forward, but just looking backwards too. May we never regard prayer. <laughs> I know we get this from kids, don't we? We get it, you know, you know when it's time, oh, it's prayer time, you know. May we never regard prayer like that. It's prayer time. May that be a joy. But Paul is looking forward. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So Paul has this joy. This joy in prayer is associated with the partnership in the gospel. Now look, that word partnership comes from a Greek word. You may have heard it. It's a common Greek word, koinonia. I think it's going to come up there on the screen there for us Ricky there it is there's a Greek word there's a Greek for you there there's the transliteration koinonia in English okay it's normally translated partnership in the NIV here okay it's normally elsewhere translated in the Bible most often by the word that we use there's not even we don't even know what it is not even an English word we use it it's a Greek word fellowship okay it's from the Greek okay fellowship okay so we use our word regularly, okay, what do we tend to use it for? If we say to somebody, okay, uh, you know, after the service we can have fellowship or tea fellowship, what do we normally use the word for? We mean? Yeah, so it's a cha-cha, the drink of tea and coffee. It's not the New Testament meaning of the word, it has nothing to do with tea and coffee. The, the, that New Testament Greek word that Paul uses, that's translated fellowship all over the Bible, and he's using it here, he's, and, but in the NIV they've used the word partnership because it really means partnership. Fellowship means partnership. So Paul is saying to this church, he's, he's joyful in his prayer because he's entered into a partnership. Another term for partnership that we use in the West here is business. Lee and I may go into a partnership, okay, selling souls for shoes. Fancy that? Okay, yeah, normally. Okay. Right, but that would be a business partnership, okay? Paul has started a business partnership with his flock, with his congregation. What is the business? It is Jesus Christ. There's a bit more to it than that. It is, that, it is at the center of that league. A little bit more. What is the partnership? What is the business that he has, that he has started with this church? Yes, it is. Thank you. A, a partnership in the gospel. Paul... In planting this church, being their pastor, has begun an enterprise with them. A business with them. And every member of the church is establishing that business. And that business, that enterprise, is the work of making more disciples just like them. Look, and he's joyful about it. And in his prayer, he's rejoicing that he now has... Because he was going along, him and Timothy and a couple of others, but he now has in the church of Philippi, in his business, what has just happened to his gospel make, his disciple making business when he started the ch planted the church of Philippi? What happened to his business? It, it expanded. He's rejoicing because his, his enterprise has expanded. He now has Lydia. He now has the jailer. He now has his family. He now has a slave. His, his business has just quadrupled ten times, if you like. 
and he's rejoicing because he has now grown and he's got these additional people to work with him in making more disciples. Paul identifies the church as a business. And the business is disciple making. Disciple making. Hey, what is the quintessential work of Living Word Bible Church? Making disciples. That is our quintessential, that has to go at the top of our business motto, our mission statement. The thing that people have to know. Living Word Bible Church 4 is that that is a business that makes disciples. Here's, look, you drive through Adelaide, drive to, to the plaza where we were before, you see this building, okay? Now you tell me, the minute you get it, what the business of that, of that building is. It begins with a H, okay? And then it has a U next to it. And then it has a N next to it. Hungry Jacks. When you see that, what is his business? What is his explicit, sole, main business? Yes. <laughs> it's to serve you burgers. Okay? When you, when, when you encounter the church of Jesus Christ, and here's one representation of it, living where Bible church, people have to know, the world has to know, that our explicit Unashamed business is making disciples. That's what we're about. That is our identity. If you walk through that door, you're going to see Lee tossing, not burgers, but engaging people in gospel. It means that when people see us, they ought to identify. You know, I used to work in McDonald's before you gave me that job. That's the best job I could do before I, I got this job. Yeah, I didn't put that on my CV, did I? Oops. <laughs> right. yeah, but I really, I did work in McDonald's when I was 16. Okay? You knew I worked in McDonald's when I, when, when I was... When I caught the bus home, and when I got back home, and when I walked through the town, you knew I worked for McDonald's. How? Because I stunk like a Big Mac? And I looked like a Big Mac. Oh, I had the uniform. Okay? It was everywhere. Everybody knew. Okay? You, you kind of walked around me on the bus because I stunk of burgers. And they may taste nice, but they don't smell nice afterwards on your clothes. Okay? Which means, Christian, as a part of our identity who live in word Bible churches, everybody out there... Anyway, let me put it like this. You, Morag, must stink of a disciple maker. I did on Friday. Did. I upset one of my colleagues. Good on you. She was a Christian and I asked her what did that mean? And she said good morals and values. And so you got in there and preached Jesus. Good and on I you. Said, Do you believe in Jesus? She said mm. There you go. She walked away too. So there you go. Hey. Mm. People had the did you know you know if if people in my community don't smell a disciple-making fragrance on me. There's something terribly wrong. If people in our community, in our offices, 
in our neighbourhoods, in the places that we move, aren't aware that I'm in the business of making disciples. There's something terribly wrong with that identity. It's our business. It's what we do. When I worked at McDonald's, if I was sitting there having a drink, I'd get into a lot of trouble. Seriously. You know, I had this manager always driving people. You know, it's never, you can never do enough for him. Hey, it doesn't quite work like that here. Jesus isn't like that. Jesus doesn't drive, he leads. And he leads by example. It's what he did, it's what his apostles did. Hey, our identity is tied up with making disciples. Making disciples. So the partnership, hey, I think this is a good place for us to finish actually. I think I'm going to stop there and just leave it there. We'll pick up this next time. We've got, hey, we've got time, haven't we? We don't have to finish the whole of the book in today's session. So let me just finish there. I want to just leave that with you. That Paul, let me just reflect on what we've gone today. So Paul reminds this church that he loves them and cares for them and he's passing them through these letters. He reminds them that they are saints in Jesus. That means Jesus has regard for them. He, 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 he reminds them what a church leadership structure looks like. Has, has an eldership and has a diaconate. He reminds them that God and Jesus are on parity. That to look at one is to see the other. And he reminds them that his pastoral care for them is tied up in him, praying for them in joy, earnestly pleading God for them. And the final thing, and this is where we concluded today, he reminds them that when they were converted, they joined his business enterprise of making disciples. And Paul, at this very moment in prison, can't actually engage in evangelism as effectively as he did back on the streets, although he's doing some we're going to see later on. And so what does he want the church to be ensuring that they are definitely doing in his absence? In reminding them that they're in this business, he wants them to be busy making disciples. Can I encourage us Christians? Whatever else you and I are busy with this week. Look, I'm going to be busy... When I leave this place, I'm going to be busy with... I've got some work to do in the car. Okay, so I'm going to do some of that. You know, uh, we're going to try and sort our house out. We're trying to do that on a Sunday or a Saturday. Okay, but whatever else we're busy with, and you're going to have your own little tasks. Okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm getting that one in there. Okay, you're going to have your... Hey, may we be busy this coming week in the business of making disciples it's who we are and you know there's a verse in Revelation I just throw this on there there's a verse in Revelation that talks about that, that we have victory as Christians that we stay on top of the battle we stay ahead of the devil we defeat the devil by it's in Revelation I just remember, 11 or 12 by the blood of the Lamb does anybody know this verse? we defeat we overcome the devil so, hey, you want to overcome the devil in temptation, in sin, in struggles, in whatever else you've got coming this week? We overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the 
Thank you by the word of your testimony, by your proclamation of Jesus, by you engaging in gospel work, that gives you power. In other, how do you resist the devil? When, when Paul says, uh, Peter says in uh, 1 Peter 5, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You don't resist the devil by saying, I resist you, I resist you, I resist you. It's not how you resist him, is it? Do you know how you resist him? By the blood of the Lamb and, Jerry said it, the word of your testimony. Every pro- proclamation of Jesus you make this week, you are resisting the devil. You are owning your name as a businessman or businesswoman of Living Word Bible Church. Disciple maker. I guess you know what we should have on the bottom of our budget, Sid? It's a bit late now. Sid Eldridge, disciple maker. Sarah Ashby, disciple maker. Brett, I don't know your surname, mate. Freeman, I do know it, I can't remember it. Brett Freeman, disciple maker. Seriously. God be with you and give you grace till we meet again. Amen.